today. How many are you ready for a word today? All right. Father, we thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We ask that uh, you could do what only you can do. Um, we trust you, Lord. We believe in you. We don't understand everything that happens in life. We don't understand uh, every situation or circumstance that we face. But what we do understand is that our trust and dependence is on you. So we ask that your word would bring forth much fruit today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. And you can be seated today. I'm going to preach from um, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is an amazing chapter. If you've never read it, you should read it. If you have read it, you should re-read it. Um, Romans chapter 12, we've been talking uh, about grace goals, uh, leadership culture from a grace perspective. And um, there is a different perspective that grace has on leadership because oftentimes there's so many books on leadership. There's so many different thought processes of what leadership is. Um, and everybody has a different opinion. A lot of times we think uh, leadership is just individualism or us doing our own thing. And so there's so many interpretations that the world gives, but I believe that grace has another perspective and a different definition for us today. Amen? Romans chapter 12, uh, verse number three, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Three things that grace goals need. I'm going to talk about three things that grace goals need today. Number one, a why greater than us. A why greater than us. The scripture said um, that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we should. I don't want people here to walk in condemnation or shame um, and to think uh, negative about yourself. But the other extreme is that uh, we live in a culture of individualism where we think a little more of ourselves than we often should. When God called Moses, Moses was asked to be the voice of deliverance to the children of Israel. And when he was asked, he was so honored and, uh, and feared what was happening that he said, um, you want me to be the, the mouthpiece and I have a stutter and don't even speak right. And he says, who am I that the God of the universe would choose me? And God is calling some of you today, and that should be our response, who am I? But a lot of times we, we don't take the posture of who am I. We take the posture of look who I am, and you owe me something, and you better, you better serve me in the way that I need to be served. The scripture says, in 1 Corinthians 4.15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for, Christ, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. We have a lot of people that want to influence people with their voice, but don't have a heart for people. We have a lot of people who want to teach the word of God, but don't want to love the people of God. And don't want to love people that are far from God. And so there's many people that want to use their voice uh, and their goal is to be known rather than to make Christ known. 
Their goal is a platform rather than on the solid rock of Jesus Christ we stand. And so the scripture said that you have a lot of teachers or you have a lot of YouTubers and influencers and podcasts and a lot of sermons you can hear, but there needs to be a generation that has the spirit of the Father who learns to father and love people and, and cherish people and lead and direct and correct and guide people in ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. True fathers are selfless, not selfish. True fathers work for fruit to feed others, not just to feed themselves. The highest goal of our life, if it is ourselves, we will fall short of the life that we are actually called to live in Christ Jesus. Some of you came today and maybe your goal is to go to heaven. And that is an admirable goal, to go to heaven. You should definitely get there. But you should probably put that goal up a little further and say, not only do I wanna to go to heaven, but I wanna take 100 people with me. I wanna take my children. I want to take my family. I want to take my neighbors. And maybe you won't take 100, but if you took 54, it would be more than you had planned if you had only planned to take yourself. And some of you say, I want to retire, and your whole goal is to retire. But what if you had to stretch your faith and said, not only would I like to retire, but I'd like to retire my children's children's children. Come on, let faith be in the house. I want to own a house this year. No, but I want to own a house with enough land so I could build an ADU to house my in-laws. And everybody went crazy in the house today and said, amen. A goal that is higher than us, that reaches further than us, that doesn't build a life that is solely based on us. In order to do this, we need to discover the why in our life. The why, a why that is greater than our why. Because there's a why in Christ and there's a why in life. Mike Tyson, Iron Mike Tyson versus Buster Douglas in the 90s. Um, he was fighting in uh, Tokyo, Japan. And Mike Tyson was 23, Buster Douglas was 29. And Mike Tyson was beaten up. Buster Douglas all the way to the eighth round. He knocked him down and Buster Douglas barely gets up. And Mike Tyson goes in, ready to finish him off. And Buster Douglas is saved by the bell. In the ninth round, he comes out a different man. He comes out swinging, fighting, and winning the fight. And when they asked him uh, what changed, he said before he got to the fight, his mother had actually passed away. And she told him, I want you to win that fight for me. And so Buster Douglas went in there with a greater why than Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson wanted to be a champion for himself, but Buster Douglas said, I want to win to show how much I love my mama. He had a why power that was greater than his willpower. What is your why in life? Is it just about you or is there something greater in you that wants to, to, to live out what God has actually called you to live out? The why of life. Why in life is different than why in Christ. Because some of us have a why 
that originates from our wounds. And we keep ministering to our wounds to try to find purpose in our traumas. I remember my son, uh, Grayson, he was in Rady's Children's Hospital for a month and a half in in the uh, NICU. And that staff did some amazing things. They were very um, kind to us as a family. And so I remember I wanted to pay back and go and volunteer at Rady's Children's Hospital. So uh, I, I filled out an application to go and volunteer my time um, because I had such a trauma that had been healed in that place. So I wanted to go and pay it back and create a purpose out of my pain. And I, I filled out the application, but one of the questions they asked on the application is, have you experienced a trauma in the last and so many years here? And if you had, you disqualified yourself from actually being able to serve there because your trauma, you were indebted to your trauma rather than to your service. And so my why was I want to serve because the place that hurt me the most is going to be the place I want to redeem. I want to justify what happened by serving the wound. But can I encourage somebody today? You don't owe anything to your trauma. You are not indebted to your trauma. You don't have to justify your life based off of your wounds. You don't have to serve your wounds to create your purpose. The wounds are not the why. The lessons from the wounds are the why. But the wounds are not the why. And you don't have to serve the pain of your life. And you don't have to serve the traumas in your life to make sense of your life. Why is a self-justifying question. When I ask my kids, why haven't you cleaned your room? They have excuses because the other brother came and messed up the room. You, you, I was about to do it, but you interrupted me right before you interrupted me. I was making a, a game plan up, but you came and interrupted me. The why turns into self-justification. When somebody approaches you, doesn't it sound like an accusation? Hey, why have you been talking about me? And now I have to defend myself against your why and justify myself. I want to tell you today, you do not have to justify your life by your why. You do not have to justify yourself by your why. The reason you want to make money is to prove to other people who made fun of you when you were a kid that you were poor is not a good why. The reason you're working out is because somebody called you fat in the sixth grade is not a good why. Fear is a good motivator for a little while, but the ultimate why won't fulfill you in life. But what about the why that is greater than our self-justification, but the why in Christ Jesus? Because he saved me, because he healed me, because he loves me, because he filled me, and that is enough. In Christ Jesus, my why is greater than my why in life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.9, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. And I thank God he didn't just save you today from your sin, but he saved you and called you for your purpose. Colossians 4.17, Paul writes, and he writes to uh, the purpose of the church, but then he takes a moment in his writing and he says, And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. He was talking about purpose and calling in general. But then he said, 
tell Archippus to pay close attention to the ministry that God gave you to fulfill it. There's a corporate call. We should all make disciples. We should all win souls. We should all worship. But there's also a ministry that God has given you that you have to pay attention to if you want to see it fulfilled in your life. So all my archipists here today, pay attention to the ministry that God gave you to fulfill it. You're going to be accountable and responsible for the ministry that God gave you. Don't compare it to everybody else. Don't compare it to anybody else. Do the ministry that God's called you to do. Grace goals in life, it's all about the visionary and us. But in Christ, it's about the vision. It's about generations. It's about more than us. It's about more than our time frame and the, the decades that we live in, the time frame that we live in. In Christ, it exceeds the visionary and goes into the vision. In, 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 in Christ, there's such a peace that passes all understanding when we make goals. And we learn to live with kind of this tension of driving forward, yet this contentment in Christ. But in life, our goals is filled with pressure. We have to meet the benchmark. If we don't meet the quota, our life is not significant. We are not valuable. There's not enough. And we put all this pressure on ourselves to fulfill our goals. Rather, in Christ, we have a joy that the world didn't give to us and the world can't take it, take it away. And Jesus said, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. But goals in life for the job set before us. We endured on Monday from seven to five with a jerky boss and it became a job, but in Christ, it was a joy. In life, we work for respect, we work for significance, we work for meaning, we work for Jesus, but in Christ, we work from everything he's accomplished, from the victory that Christ has accomplished, from the healing that he's already supplied. We work from the place of fulfillment. I'm fully loved to freely love others. When somebody compliments me here, it hits my ego. When somebody compliments me here, it confirms what Christ already told me about me. They testify of the goodness of Jesus in my life. So their affirmation only confirms what Jesus said about me. In life, criticism makes me mad. In Christ, criticism makes me better. In life, trials make me weary. In Christ, trials make me strengthened and strong. And I come out of fire like pure gold. There's a difference between in life and in Christ. And some of us are Christians, but we're just going through life. But to be a true Christian means you need to be in Christ Jesus, in this world, but not of this world, having fruit from above that you couldn't produce on your own. 
We have a why that is greater than our why, the why of Jesus Christ. Come on, give God a hand clap of praise. A why that is greater than our self-justification. A why that is birthed from the place of his finished work and the cross. We need a why that's greater than our why. And we need a faith that's greater than our faith. The Bible says in Romans 12, 34, by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Don't be drunk on yourself. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're going to have a little Bible study real quick, if that's all right with you. You came to church for a Bible study. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says this, verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. And by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive his inheritance, and as he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age. All these people died still believing that what God had promised them, they did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. The heroes of faith died in the faith, not receiving the promise. Some of us, when we don't get what we want, we throw fits. The heroes of faith, they, they, they built boats when there was no rain. And they went to places they didn't know where they were going to see what God would do when they didn't even know what God was doing. They seen the, the mouth of lions shut. They seen supernatural births from old wounds that weren't supposed to have babies by faith. The Bible says in Habakkuk 2.4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. This is the old covenant where people, uh, faith didn't just show up in the New Testament. Faith showed up in the old covenant. And by faith, they accomplished a lot, not having obtained the promise. We have a good and greater faith in the New Testament because we have obtained the promise in Christ Jesus. So them having their faith accomplished so much was able to do what other people couldn't do by having their faith. Now they, we walk into the new covenant. What does new covenant faith look like? Galatians 2, 19 through 20. For, for I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. They got it online. In the old covenant, we live by our faith. And that's awesome. But 
in the new covenant, we live by the faith of the Son of God. Peter lived by his faith. And we're saying, I want that Peter faith. I want to be able to step and walk on water. And faith will get you, your faith will get you to walk on water. But Peter sank in the water at some point because his faith was distracted and his faith had doubts and his faith struggled with fear. But you know who didn't sink? Jesus, the faith of the Son of God. I don't want the faith of Peter. I want the faith of the Son of God. A perfect faith. My faith, my faith is feeble. That's why uh, when the man's daughter was possessed with demons, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And this is us in life. I have faith. I'm just believing. I'm just believing. And it gets you forward. It gets you somewhere. But at some point, even your faith sinks. At some point, when you get disappointed by people, your faith sinks. At some point, when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you wanted it to be answered, your faith sinks. At some point, when it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, or they disappointed you, your faith sinks. Because even our faith faces unbelief in our humanity. But Paul said that we live by the faith of the Son of God. So we are all given a measure of faith. A measure of faith is one way to say it, but the way the scripture says it is we're giving the measure of faith, which means you have access through willpower to have belief in life, but you have in Christ access to the faith of the Son of God. What does God believe about my marriage? What does God believe about my identity? What does God believe about what's best for me? Faith from and of the Son of God. Woo! Sometimes I pray for healing for people, and I'm like, I'm working up my faith like, Lord, heal them, heal them, Lord, heal them. And I'm like 50-50. Sometimes they live, sometimes they die. But whenever God says, I'm going to give you faith, a gift of faith. You know how miracles work? You show up to where God's doing the miracle. You say, God, what do you want to do today? I don't, in life, what we do is like, hey, do you need a miracle? I'm going to give you a miracle, and we're going to pray, and we're going to declare every promise in the scripture, and we're going to make something happen. In Christ, we're like, hey, God, what do you want to do today? He's like, oh, there's someone here who's really going through it, that I'm actually going to give them a miracle. And this is not just a, a, a corporate word. This is specific because I know my children better than you know them, and I know what they need when they need it. And I want you to partner with the faith of the Son of God. Some of you are so discouraged. I love the scripture, and I often quote it, uh, that even if we're faithless, he's faithful. Drag myself in life. I walk over, even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. And it's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And we live by the faith of the Son of God. If we want to achieve our goals in life, you can do it by willpower. You can do it by force. You can fight your way through. Or you can stand in Christ. And he can give you a faith to accomplish things you never had the power to accomplish in your own willpower. We don't live 
just by our faith, but we live by faith, the faith of the Son of God. Number three, we need a gift that is greater than our gift. Romans 12, 6 through 10, having gifts that defer according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads, do it with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy, do it with, with cheerfulness. Do it with cheerfulness. How many of you have the gift to give? You came with an envelope ready. You have envelopes at your house stacked up. If you don't come here, you'll mail it. You'll, you'll, you'll do it through the phone, but you don't think that's holy enough, so you have to bring it all the way in because you don't want God to give you an online blessing. You want him to give you an on-time blessing. Like, you're just like, I, I got to give it. I don't want to do reoccurring giving because I got to give it. I don't want nothing to be taken from me. I want to give it. You have the gift to be able to give. And this is what we do in life. We, we, we say we have different gifts. Some of you have the gift of mercy, and you, you, you have a heart and compassion for, for the poor, and you have a heart and compassion to, to see people, and you're like, I'm gifted. And some of you say, I, I, I'm, I'm prophetic. I, I'm prophetic. I have the gift to prophesy. Paul said, I wish you all would prophesy, but I have the gift to speak in tongues. The same way you got saved is the same way you get gifts. By grace, through faith, that you wouldn't boast of your own works salvation. In Romans 12, it says, each of you have gifts according to grace and faith. The same thing that got you saved is the same thing that gets you gifts. You don't earn salvation and you don't earn gifts. God thinks I'm really special in this area, way better than that one. So I have the gift to encourage people. And in life, we walk around limited based off our personality and our ability and our Enneagram and how we are and what bend we have. We're like, we're, we're gifted. This is what it looks like in life. But the Bible says in Peter that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. which means every gift, every gift that is mentioned in this scripture, when you're in Christ, you have access to every gift. You have access to respond to the grace and faith that God has given you. So if you're discouraged and you're in Christ, you have a gift called encouragement. You're like, I don't really like that outreach thing and that whole mercy thing. That's really not my thing. Yeah, that's in life. But in Christ, you get compassion for people that in life you don't even think about. In Christ, you start waking up to to get this thing called a burden for people. And you're like, why am I thinking? I got my own problems. In, In life, you have your own problems. In Christ, you have your own purpose. 
And there's one special gift. It says the spiritual gift of leadership. And if you have it, do it with passion. The blue bow. Everyone here has access to the spiritual gift of leadership when you're in Christ. This is what that is. It was speaking in context to the whole church, but as an individual, you have access to the spiritual gift of leadership. But some of you here today are like, um, I'm not really into the leadership thing because you've defined it a certain way. But leadership is personal responsibility. The ability to respond to the grace of God and the faith of God in the situations that I'm in. And when we don't use this gift, life happens to us, not for us. So we come here and we're like, God, my family, it's a mess, it's a wreck. Fix them, Lord. I'll serve you all the days of my life if you fix them. It's like you have access in Christ to a gift to actually be empowered to take your life back and lead your family through the supernatural divine work of grace. I have a, you remember the lady, she ran out of, out of money and you know what, you know what they did? They said, go get some jars, go to your house and fill them up with oil and sell them. Like, wow, what a miracle. God didn't give her money. He gave her a business. He gave her the gift of leadership to say, look, I'm in a tight situation, but God's going to give me creativity in this area. And I'm going to start leading, not just by my might, not just by my power, but in Christ. I'm going to be empowered in supernatural ways to lead in areas that I've been laying down and being irresponsible in. Oh, let the church say amen. When I was a, a single parent, my, um, my kids, they'd wake up early before me, and I'd wake up to, to cereal all over the house, to things broken and kids crying and diapers off. Now, this is not a biblical principle. This is a TJ principle. But... I felt like the Lord told me personally, he's like, whoever wakes up first is the leader. And if you keep letting your kids wake up first, they're going to lead your whole household. But you got to wake up first to set the pace of your house. That's why when leaders walk in here, we don't wait till we feel worship. We start worshiping until you feel it. I didn't really feel it today. Well, did you lead the atmosphere or did you let the atmosphere lead you? I don't really like, feel like I'm in love with my spouse. Well, did you lead that marriage or did you just sit around and wait for gooey feelings to come by? Did you get a rose? Did you sing a song? Did you do anything? Complaining in areas that God's called you to be empowered to lead in. The spiritual, you have access for everything you came here today for and say, God, I need you to answer this prayer. He's like, okay, I got an answer for you. I don't know if you're going to like it because it's spelled W-O-R-K. 
And, and the job you keep praying that God gets you out of is the one that God actually got you into so he could build the character in you because they're not paying you what you're worth. But you know your worth's beyond what you get paid, so you don't just work for a company. You work as unto the Lord, and you serve people, and you love people, and you do the best with what you got. The spirit of leadership, of, 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 of waking up and, and initiating, the Bible talks about in, in Genesis 1.28, when God created man, then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And some of us have given up that God-given grace to take dominion over our lives. And we're letting everything walk on us, step on us, talk about us, and we're not taking back what God has actually given to us. And we're letting the enemy lie and take things from us and believe false truths about ourselves. But he's called you to be fruitful inside out and to have dominion. The Bible talks about ruling our own spirit well. Do you have rule over your own spirit? Come on, we challenging anyone here today? I wanna encourage you today. You have access to face. Some of you are going through crisis. You know what you're gonna to have to do? You're gonna to have to lead through crisis. Some of you are going through loss. You know what you're going to have to do? You can either get in your bed, put the, put the blankets over your head, and hope one day you wake up and everything changes. Or you can get up and say, I'm going to use God's grace to lead through the most sorrowful season of my life. I'm going to lead in the way that God's called me to lead. That's why the scripture went on to say, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, they'll be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be the kind of leader that God's called you to be. The next several weeks, we'll be talking about leading in our home, leading through crisis. But first, I want you to be able to respond to that grace and that faith and say, you know, the scripture said, it said, Outdo one another in honor. Be the first to forgive and the last to hold a grudge. Be the first to forgive and the last one to hold a grudge. You don't owe me anything. You, 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 you don't owe me anything. We're good. Be the first to release it. The first to let it go. And the last to hold a grudge. Be the first to wake up to the realities of God's richness and mercy. When we have access to this gift and when we walk in the divine favor, grace, and faith of God, we are no longer victims, but we are victorious in Christ Jesus. So we don't have a, a poverty mindset. We don't have a victim mindset. We don't have a mindset that is other than son and daughter of God that, that has been empowered to take our life back and to have the authority of a believer that these signs shall follow them that believe that wherever they go, Goodness and mercy follow them, that wherever they go, atmospheres change, that wherever they go, doors have to open, that wherever they go, somebody who taps into this gift, when you see people in the world, they sorrow a different kind of way. But when you see people in Christ, Paul said, we don't grieve as those without any hope, but we have a hope. We are in Christ. We're not in the world. 
that the, the suffering of this in life cannot compare to the eternal glory that is in Christ Jesus, not just one day in heaven, but right now as we stand and remain in the vine of Christ Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? There's an empowering spirit of God's grace to empower you. And if you keep letting circumstances come at you and you ignore them and you avoid them and, and, and you don't take responsibility for the life that God's called you to live, whatever you don't manage, you lose. Whatever you don't manage, you lose. The wife that you pursued, the girlfriend you pursued became your wife. But when you quit pursuing your wife, she becomes your ex. Leadership is something that continues to happen. Leadership continues to happen. And you don't have to do it in your own might in life. It's simply us responding to the grace of God. So let me ask you this question. The Bible said that grace has appeared to all men. What is the area of your life that you are not responding to the grace of God in? We've all been given the measure of faith. What is the area of your life that you're most afraid in that you're not responding to the faith that is of the Son of God in? Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak life, the spirit of leadership, the gift of leadership in this house where somebody's gonna start something Somebody's going to end something. Somebody's going to uh, answer the call. Be bold and courageous. And, and lead. Be the first to forgive, the last to hold a grudge. To make the phone call. To be the first to, to, to ask for forgiveness. The first to apologize. The first to say, I love you. The first. That's why we tithe, Lord, because our money, the first, you're leading that. You're leading that. The first leads the rest. God, help us to make priority, to step out boldly in faith, and to respond to your grace accordingly.